0: Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
2: Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection.
3: Not here with me physically but always emotionally is Vito Doria. Vito, it's a pleasure as always. Thank you, Connor. It's
1: come near to the end of the season, but I'm still looking forward to discussing the latest
3: action from Serie A this weekend. Um, yeah, but look, it, it is just a two-man show. Uh, Sonia Messio was hoping to join us, but sadly she couldn't make it. So, Vito, there is only one place for us to start, as I seem to say quite often, but that is because the Scudetto has finally mathematically been decided. Juventus have won their seventh in a row have to give congratulations to them. It's their 34th. Yes, 34th in total. So huge congratulations to the Bianca Uh, Where was this league won and what makes it more special than the others?
1: There are a few reasons. Well, what makes it special is that nobody's done seven in a row in Italy. And even last season, nobody had done six. So, once again, Juventus have shown the dominance of Italian football once again. Perhaps it's pretty hard to really pinpoint one game on Juventus's part that, where they lost it, or I mean, where they won it. Um, part of me does feel that in some ways probably Napoli lost it themselves, especially when they lost three nil weights to Fiorentina whereas Juventus, although they had draws against Spal and Crotone, they've just been a model of consistency. So uh, more than anything, I wouldn't pinpoint just one game for Juventus on how they want it. I think it's more just over time they don't really spoil their runs or they do not find a way to just self-destruct. Even if they have slip-ups, they will often bounce back.
3: You know, I've actually been thinking about this quite a lot in the last week, whenever the game after Napoli beat Juve when Napoli slipped up, I was thinking about it and I've been trying to kind of think of a way to work it into an article and that there's probably not one specific game, but it's quite fitting that Juventus were confirmed as champions in Rome because it was games against Lazio and Roma for both of the title contenders that ultimately decided the season when for me, when Juve played Lazio back in, it must be March now, and Paolo Di Bala scored that last-minute goal. And then Napoli went out straight away and got absolutely smashed by Roma. I thought that was huge at the time. And then Napoli did manage to claw back to just within one point. But now, with hindsight, looking at that and the, the run of results that Napoli had after that weekend, that is, for me anyway, the decisive weekend in the season. Uh, Legazette de della Sport wrote an article today and they kind of picked out five games. Uh, one of them being as early as the second round when Juventus were 2-0 down against Genoa after just seven minutes. Uh, th- there was an own goal by Merlin Pjanic and a bit of far controversy that put them 2-0 down. And then in typical Juventus fashion, they raced back and won 4 2 And I suppose if, we're not going to say... We saw it coming all along because we did back Napoli. We did think Napoli were gonna win it, but Juventus have just been themselves again this year, haven't they? And you've got to give them enormous credit for that.
1: Yeah, well, definitely. It's a bit hard to, you know, swallow it. You know, it's a bit of a pill to swallow because we're used to it. And I'll be honest, it's probably not the best look for the Italian game because the stigmas come out and people think it's just a one-team league. And sadly, from that perspective, it does prove that point. In saying that, you they have to go out and face the teams every week. they got to face whoever's out on the park. So, you know, can't just be blaming Juventus for being so good. Uh, more than anything, uh, the other teams have to be held to account too. And for all the controversies people love to bring up, Juventus are a model for consistency and as much as I love to see beautiful football and all that, uh, Juventus are like a machine in the sense that they do grind out the results. It doesn't matter if they play well or play bad because of the tactical tactical flexibility or maxillity and also the quality of the squad that has been assembled together for many years, they still will find a way to turn things around. So they haven't got one way of scoring goals or one way of playing. They just know how to adapt to the opponent or adapt to certain circumstances. And they manage to pull through. They've got the right mentality and they're experienced in dealing with these situations where the likes of Roma and Napoli have not been able to do that in the last seven years.
3: That's the thing. You wrote quite early in the season that all of this praise of Sarismo would ultimately be forgotten quite quickly if Napoli didn't crown their season with a Scudetto and he could be out the door this summer followed by a whole lot of others but just to focus on Juventus and you, you kind of hit the nail on the head and I think people often overlook just how effective they are and it, they're kind of disrespected for not playing this tiki-taka style football or whatever, Cerismo, whatever you want to call it but it's not as if they play long ball Sam Hallardyce type football either you know they they just do what they can with the players that they have and they always win they might not do it in Europe and that is a stick that you can beat them with if you like but they deserve huge credit. yeah they. but mm. when it comes to within Italy you can't not just bow to their superiority over everybody else
1: yeah true I think that's the reality of the situation. And as I've said, they are consistent. They are a team that to just focus on obtaining those results. I mean, they don't play, like you said, this Sam Allardyce football, one ball tactics, but they're not a true natural team like Herrera Herrera's of the 1960s. They are a team more than anything. They do what's required to gain the results and sometimes if not most times they do it by trying to rely on maybe the key individuals but it's done by also using minimum effort or they don't use as much energy as they need to so they tend to pace themselves a lot and I think with the nature of Italian football it allows them to play in that way that being said uh, Juve, from time to time, can actually play good football when they want to. So there were a few games during this season, such as the 6-2 win away to Udinese, uh the derby win against Torino, which they won 4-0, although Daniele Basselli doing a bit of kung fu helped in that game. And then they trounced Sassuolo 7-0. And those were games in which Juve actually put in a good effort played good football and they showed their technique and they expressed themselves, which was great to see. And they might not do that all the time, but it does show that at least the talent is there. Probably because the quality of Serie A is not that great, you're not tested enough. So it means that they don't really have to exert that extra energy or have to pull on a show just for the sake of a spectacle. If they have to attack, they need to, depending on the circumstances.
3: It is a really tough one, isn't it? Because we've had a comment in already to say Serie A is at an all-time low. Juventus aren't great. The league is terrible, which which for me misses the point completely. They haven't had someone who can compete with them for a title, but the overall level in Serie A isn't at an all-time low because it's so competitive in those European places, not just the Champions League, but the Europa League as well. So those teams have kind of lifted their level in recent seasons, whereas it's come at a compromise and that there's been no great challenge for Juventus, which is kind of what has made this year so exciting. But mm-hmm. we say that they haven't won a, a the Champions League, but only one team can win the Champions League every year. And they've got to two finals in the last three seasons, which isn't bad going. So in two of the last three years, I think I'm right in saying they've been the second best team in Europe, which isn't all that bad especially when Real Madrid have been all conquering as they have been and Barcelona was the other final they lost when Messi and Co turned it on on the day you can't really do too much to stop them as Juventus aren't the first or last team to work that out Um, (laughs) Vito there are requests for you to go on a Juventus rant Uh, I'm not going to try and force you into a rant because that kind of defeats the whole purpose of it but I don't know, what do you think? There's a lot of hate coming in for you by saying they can't even win a Champions League trophy while having little competition in the league for seven years. But it, as I said, it's it's not that easy to be the best team in Europe as well as win a domestic double. And as Allegri said, a double is a huge achievement. And they've done that, what, three years in a row now?
1: Mm. Yeah, true. Well, actually now... Allegri's become the first coach to win four domestic double. I mean, yeah, four domestic doubles in a row. So that's a pretty impressive achievement. As for a special rant about Juve, since we've kept with the thing of trying to praise Juve, we might just uh, stick with the good points for now. But uh, for those who probably follow my Twitter account, I have been in quite a few arguments with Juventus fans or even just Italian football fans in general about Juventus and the underachievements in Europe and also specifically tagging Gonzalo Higuain. So uh, I do feel a sense of um, disappointment with Juventus' results despite uh, facing tough opposition more than anything. It was just the way Allegri has lost those European matches. And, well, I made my piece said last year at the end of the end-of-the-season podcast when they lost 4-1 to Real Madrid in that final, that I was always against the purchase of Higuain because he has a known reputation for failing in finals. So it's good to be consistent in the league. But Higuain has not been that player that gives them the maximum edge in the big games or those really decisive games.
3: No, funnily enough, you've been critical of one of their signings there, but during the week you have been writing away praising exactly how they operate in the transfer market under Beppe Marotta, which that piece is going to go up hopefully tomorrow morning Mm -hmm. or at some point tomorrow. Anyway, do you want to give it a plug and let people know where they can find it?
1: Yeah, I'll have a look on the Forza Italian Football website, everyone, to read my piece about Juventus and the transfer model. Although I have been critical of Juventus and Beppe Marotta on the basis of the Higuain transfer, because I do think it was more for the sake of destabilising Napoli than anything else. Uh, But other than that, I think Marotta is still the best director in Italian football. He's the main reason why Juventus have this dynasty. And ever since he left Sampdoria, building a team to get into the Champions League qualifiers on a limited budget, he's got the backing of the Agnelli family now to build better teams and a lot of the success is down to him because he's always been able to build the team piece by piece and even if some moves don't work out well, there are a lot of positive moves that he makes, whether they be transfers in which he didn't have to pay much money or free transfers. He just knows how to make the right deals, give the players the right wages and Conte and Allegri have had the part to play in molding the team together, but Marotta deserves praise for getting those players to the club in the first place and finding the right pieces to fit into those teams. Because if you compare them to the two Milanese sides, they've spent a bit of money too in the last three or four years, or they've had their share of free transfers too, especially AC Milan, but they haven't identified the right players for what they really need, and sometimes, especially Inter, they overpay for players, so uh, there's a big difference between having the money and knowing to spend the money. Marota is proof that money isn't everything and that it is just important to spend that money wisely, not just to have a quantity of funds.
3: Yeah, no, you, you are absolutely right. Um We can move on from Juventus now, I think, because we kind of discussed the Scudetta win last week because it was all but absolutely confirmed given how last week's results went. Uh the Serie A title isn't the only trophy that will be given out this season, of course, because the Foot Italian Football Awards will be going live tomorrow morning, I believe. Um European time, probably evening, Monday evening, wherever you are, Vito. Um, but We've got the usual categories, goal of the season, player of the season, manager of the season, signing of the season, and everything else you can imagine. Myself and Dov kind of finalized the the nominations today chatting, and he's trying to get under my skin by finding a way to remove Josip Ilicic from the signing of the season category, which I think is an absolute disgrace. And there are some pretty good nominations in the player of the season category, and one pretty notable omission as well, which... I'm sure we'll get a bit of a backlash from because people love to give out. But Vito, really quickly, um, I ask you for your player of the season. Is there someone that comes to mind straight away? Um, there are probably
1: two that really spring to mind and that's Chirion, Mobley and Mauro Icardi, mostly because of their goal-scoring statistics. So I think they have been the most dominant players in the league, so it's uh, hard to think of other players in other roles and their performances because both Immobile and Di Cardi have scored over 25 goals each. And in a league like Serie A, in which it's not as defensive as it used to be, but it's still a well-organised league, at least from a coaching perspective, uh, it's still pretty impressive for
3: strikers to produce the numbers that they have done. Yeah, despite... Icardi's good scoring figures, I've been quite disappointed with him this season because he doesn't score in enough games for me. But enough on that, we might get to that later. Immobile is a good shout, though. I think he's been so impressive since going to Lazio and that team. Just suits him so perfectly. But I don't think anybody would have seen this run of form coming from him. Uh, Of course, Juve winning the league means Napoli miss out. They won 2-0 tonight away at Sampdoria. Uh, I'm sure you're frustrated about this because when, as soon as the pressure is off, the part they go and do the job. And it wasn't always that easy. It was a pretty poor game. You got up at a ridiculous hour to watch this. Uh, it was basically just players shooting from 20 yards for 70 odd minutes. And then one of those shots went in through Eric Millick. And Millick is actually where I want to start tonight because he showed exactly why he probably should have featured more in the last... Last month or two, especially. Um, What did you make of it? Mertens did start again for some reason and was dragged off. Milik came on and scored within 60 seconds of coming on.
1: Well, it's moves like this that pretty much epitomises Saudi's uh, lack of desire to rotate the team. Mertens should have been dropped weeks ago, but since Milik's been returning from another knee injury, I suppose he's been reluctant in that aspect to see Milik get injured again. Although it was disappointing to see Sump lose, I do feel happy for Milik to score, and the way he scored was a a fantastic finish, although there was some bad defending on Sump's part too. The defence was very open. Uh, Since returning from injury, he has been able to make a difference off the bench and score a few goals. So hopefully, even if Sadi does leave, uh, hopefully Milik can have a good preseason, get himself fit, and hopefully he doesn't have another bad injury because I still think the talent is there and he can be a prolific scorer. So he just needs a bit of luck to be on his side, remain fit, and I
3: think it's still possible for him to be a prolific scorer in Serie A. You would hope so because he did start so well there before his initial injury as well. Uh, Vito, look, we've, we've spoken about Napoli to absolute death in recent weeks and months, throughout the whole season. So I, we'll go in on Samp a bit, if you, if you like, because this was the game that confirmed the end of their Europa League chances. Mm-hmm. Uh, it must be so frustrating for you, because at one point today, Fiorentina had been beaten. Atalanta drew. It looked like Samp could really grab the Europa League chase, mm-hmm. but the scruff for the neck, because mm-hmm. against all their opponents in that race, Milan, Atalanta and Fiorentina... Samp have beaten them all this season and they had the advantage on head-to-head. So Mm. how are you feeling after that?
1: I had put something on Twitter before I came onto the podcast today and I revealed that I was disappointed with the way this season has turned out. Sampdoria are a team used to mid-table mediocrity and usually that should be the minimum target for the club. But the performance was disappointing especially in some instances we were relying on long balls, which puzzled me because our football is similar to Napoli, so we didn't need to do that even on a wet pitch. And our only real chances were from Gianmarco Ferrari, who's a centre-back. So if we're relying on him to score, then we've got issues in attack, and we have because our strikers aren't fit enough at the moment. This season had some great moments. We played some excellent football. I'd probably say only Napoli were a more entertaining team to watch. And as you mentioned, we bet some good opponents on the way too, rivals for the Europa League, and we even challenged the big boys. Bet you over at home, even though it was a weak in Juventus squad, but you can still take pride in betting Juventus. So I'll, I'll claim that one. I'm happy with that. But in saying that, when you have such a good first half of the season and then you just drop off in the second half, Uh, It is very disappointing because it's like you've been given this hope and then it's just diminished. So that's part of, you know, supporting a mid-table team that realistically it's not sustainable for a club like us to really push for Europe. But when the opportunity is there, it would be nice to actually hold on and obtain the results on a far more consistent basis as opposed to just showing flashes of brilliance.
3: A lot of the time with with situations like this you think okay it's not the end of the world you can build on this and come back next season a little bit stronger with a little bit more experience because it is a young team but with Sampdoria's model you don't know who's actually going to be left there at the start of the next season and there are players there like or Linetti, Pratt, uh, even Zapata, to some extent, Caprari as well, these are going to be on the radar of other teams, not only in Italy, but around Europe. So is it going to be another summer of just an exodus out at Marassi?
1: I don't think it would be as big as other years, especially because our defenders weren't that outstanding. And as good as Zapata has been, he has had times in which he hasn't been 100% fit. So I don't think he'll be on the move just yet. More than anything, I see the real revolution happening in midfield because I would be shocked if Torreira stayed. I expect clubs to just throw money at some for him. And like you said, Linetti, he could be another one that could go, especially if he performs at the World Cup and performs well. And Dennis Prats, he's another one. Even if he doesn't get a surprise call up for Belgium, I He's still interested, he's still a targeted player, a player of interest for clubs like Juventus and also for Newcastle in the Premier League. So that's where I think the real changes are going to shape up. And although uh, the young midfielder who was at Fiorentino Crotone, Leonardo Capezzi, has been, in a way, groomed to play in that same role as Torreira. I do expect a whole bunch of changes in the midfield as well. And that could be one of the main problems heading to next season, regardless if Giampaolo stays or not. I do think that uh, whoever coaches the team next season will have a bit of a job on their hands trying to restructure
3: the midfield and getting them to click quickly as possible. Any any team in Italy would probably miss Lucas Torreira, having had him and for him to then move on. Even the Champions League chasing sides, never mind Sampdoria, but keeping Marco Zampello is probably huge to whatever you guys can achieve next year because even despite the summer turnover last year, he's improved your points. 48 points in total last season, you're already on 54, could end up with nearly 10 points better off. and He's done a pretty good job there. I know things have kind of fallen off in the second half of the season. Form away from the Marassi has been pretty shocking all year round. And it's been that home form that's kept Mm. you in the conversation. But Gianpaolo has been one of the keys, if not the biggest key behind the relative success you've had there.
1: Mm. Absolutely. And one of the reasons that, uh, well, actually two reasons for the slip up is that uh, with his soul of play, it's very hard to sustain that over 38 games. And also just, players were dropping off. The form was not sustainable over the course of the season. Obviously, I've been a huge critic of Edgar Barreto on this pod, but other players have not been able to replicate the form that they had in the first half of the season. So in a team which doesn't have depth like uh, Sampdoria, uh, it's not easy to always play a high-tempo style of football, a possession-based style, if your players aren't always fit or you're not able to rotate that squad. So I wouldn't blame Gianpaolo like some some fans, at least on uh, Italian uh, social media pages have been. But uh, I think there are other issues that need addressing before we can blame the coach for not qualifying for Europa League. Gianpaolo is probably the main reason why we were in the discussion in the first place because he has implemented this attacking philosophy and really for next season, if we are to make a serious push for Europe, keeping John is one thing, but it's also about finding the right players that can integrate to the team quickly and fit into his system as quickly
3: as possible. Absolutely. Well, speaking of one coach who has turned one of the also-runs into European contenders, we'll move swiftly on to Gianpiero Gasparini and Atalanta because the boys look like they're going back to Europe a one-all draw in Bergamo with AC Milan thanks to a 91st minute Andrea mazzello goal has pretty much sealed the Europa League qualification places for next year I know Fiorentina can technically still get there but it would take a seven-goal swing on the last day of the season when Fiorentina play Milan I think and Atalanta play Cagliari so it's unlikely and people are already celebrating in Bergamo let me tell you <laughs> I just this game. It showed how much Gasparini means to this club before the game when he was obviously suspended for the game, and the Curva do their big display. And I was expecting it to be something to do with Europe because that was on the line today. But instead, everyone held up these black and blue banners and then reversed them to show like a completely white backdrop, and then uh, a tifo of Gasparini blown up onto it came down and the screen in the stadium showed Gasparini then sitting up in the box and he was quite obviously moved by the smile on his face was as wide as I've ever seen it on the man. And it was hard not to smile in response because he was almost getting a bit emotional, looking at it, waving and applauding. And then Mm -hmm. the camera went away from him and then it went back and he was clearly so appreciative. And he has said in recent weeks, not for the first time that he feels genuinely loved in Bergamo with Atalanta. And there's been talk of him going to take the Italy job, of course, it's not happening now. He's been linked with pretty much every job in Italy that comes up. But he's he's going to stay, it looks like. and With him there, it's hard to question Atalanta's credentials of qualifying for Europe again this time next year because it, it, quite a nice symmetry, actually. It was on this very day last year that Atalanta played Milan, drew one each and secured fourth place and the Europa League, and they kind of done the same thing exactly a year on. But I was chatting to Eric, is his name? He actually listens to the podcast. A shout out to him. He he, he was out with me at the game today, and he made the the argument that it's hard not to dis- it's hard to disagree with him that this season is probably even better for Atalanta than last. Last year was as far as points totals go, their best And Serie a, They finished fourth with seventy two points. This year they're on what is it, 58-61 or something like that. But given they had that European adventure, they beat Everton 5-1, 3-0, beat Lyon to top of the group, went toe-to-toe with Dortmund in the Europa League knockout stages. There's a serious case to be made there that this season has been even better than the fairy tale of last year. Vito, as an outsider looking in, what have you made of it all? <laughs>
1: You can definitely make the argument that it is better than last season's achievement simply because they did have the European commitments and they did go through to the knockout stage. So there were more games to play and there was probably a time in which Atalanta looked like they were going to finish mid-table. But once they were eliminated by Dortmund, uh, they didn't drop their heads. They just kept going and... Focused on maintaining that form to get back into the Europa League. So I think it's a testament to Atalanta as a club, but also Gasparini as a coach. And because he is not under the same pressures or scrutiny that he would have been when he was coaching Genoa, he's working in a more tranquil atmosphere. And with the abundance of young talent that Atalanta produces, I don't think he's got to worry about the dismantling of the team in the same way he would have at Genoa because Genoa, they are a big selling club and Atalanta is too. But when you have a superb youth academy like Atalanta does, you're just producing the talent year on in. And I think that really suits Gasparini. Not only that, Gasparini's got that ability to improve those players, get them used to senior football and adapt to his style of play. So I think, uh, you know, both the coach and uh, the people involved in the club deserve uh, a lot of praise
3: for their work. Yeah, well, one of those players that he's brought on and who has turned into, well, not already world-class, but looks like he is going to become world-class very soon is Mattia Caldara, who played his last game at home for Atalanta today, and it was quite a nice touch. You know, they there was banners up on the curve saying Grazie, Mattia," and he was given the captain's armband for... Is then he stayed out after everyone else on the pitch, kind of going around to the ultras, shaking hands, saying his goodbyes. It was a really nice touch. And someone it, I've given him praise this year, but I haven't done it in a while. And he deserves it today because he popped up with another huge goal as Andrea Mazzello. And that guy just goes so far under the radar and what he does at Atalanta. And I know he's done things in his career before and he's been punished for them, but since establishing himself at Atalanta and especially since Gasparini came in, he has been one of the most consistent and one of the most outstanding players in Serie A. And I'm not just talking about the other clubs. If you were to make a team of the season out of the last two years, Maziello is in it every day of the week as one of the centre-backs because he rarely puts a foot wrong. And if he does, he does everything he possibly can to correct his error. Might look at Milan then uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma, there seems to be more problems with him. He had a bit of a disaster midweek in the Coppa Italia final, 4-0 defeat to Juventus. And then today after the game, he went to give a shirt to the Ultras. And a lot of them rejected it. I don't know if he managed to give a shirt to someone in the end, but it's, it looks like his time at Milan is actually going to come to an end this summer, Vito. Where can you see him jetting off to this year?
2: That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at borough.com slash ACAST.
1: At the moment, I would just have to say the usual suspects like Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain. The main reason for Real Madrid going for him would be because Perez wants to get rid of Keiro Navas. And it seems that David De Gea does not want to leave Manchester United. So I think that deal might not go through. So maybe Donnarumma could go there. Otherwise, Paris Saint-Germain, uh, they've been dominating French football very easily, and it's debatable if Donnarumma will provide that jump in quality as yet for the Champions League, but it seems that Kevin Trapp and uh, Alphonse Ariola have not been that impressive in goal for the Parisians, so I can see him going there as well. I haven't heard any rumours of him going to the Premier League And I don't think of any, I haven't heard of any targets myself or any clubs thinking of bringing Donnarumma to the Premier League. So at the moment I can't see that happening.
3: Now you would imagine that Madrid or PSG is probably the two obvious places for him to go. Last year there were Manchester United links, but De Gea doesn't look like he's going to leave there now anyway. One of the comments was coming to say, a rainy night at Stoke is inferior to a rainy night at Atalanta I'm glad he's brought that up because, my God, let me tell you, Vito, the rain in Bergamo today at points during that game is the worst I have ever experienced at a football match. There were times where I couldn't see what was happening. I could barely move. It was so cold. And walk into the game in a short sleeve jersey and thinking, oh, this is going to be all right. (laughs) And then it bucketed down. And obviously the, the terrace, the curva, is completely open. So... There was no escaping it. And it was horrendous. It was awful. But I said to um listener to the podcast, uh, Mark Neal on Twitter, that I didn't care what the weather was like as long as the result went the way I wanted it to. And thankfully, it did. And let me tell you, when Andrea Mazzella's goal went in in the last couple of minutes, nobody, nobody in that stadium cared about what it suffered through for the, the 90 prior to it. it probably worth a side point more than anything else. The referee, I didn't even notice who it was, but he was horrendous in this game. From the very first whistle, he was stopping everything and giving out yellow cards for the slightest thing. And he kind of spoiled it because the game wasn't even that entertaining. And because it never really got the chance to get flowing, that was just something that pissed me off a little bit. If you want to have a laugh, sorry Inter fans, (laughs) but... Sassuolo went to San Siro and 1-2-1 and Matteo Politano did it again at San Siro because he just loved scoring there. And then Domenico Berardi rolled back the years and did something that I wasn't so sure he was even able to do anymore. And Inter are just their own worst enemies, Vito. Despite Rafinha's best efforts pretty much single-handedly, it doesn't look like they're going to get the Champions League.
1: No, it doesn't. Inter had a few chances to score, and they dominated the play, but Andrea Consigli had a fantastic game in goal for Sassuolo, and he denied Di Cardi on more than a few occasions. Di Cardi probably would have got a hat-trick on another day, but uh, Inter, with the ch- on the basis of the chances they had, should have won easily. But I think the way they played the game, they just didn't play with much energy, much cohesion, and the play was perhaps a little bit too predictable. And the way Sassuolo defended in numbers, uh, Lemos and Cherbi in particular had good games. And when they attacked, it was really up to Politano and Berardi to take care of the business. And
3: that's what they did. Sorry, my mouse froze there for a minute. Yeah, that's all right. Moving on from in. We'll, we'll move on from Inter because I'm sure the listeners are sick of hearing about them as Even Inter fans probably are, given what we've said about them in recent weeks. But down at the bottom is where most of the excitement remains in Serie A. A game that doesn't matter in the slightest, but it's kind of nice to see Benevento bow out at home with a 1-0 win. You took special joy with the fact that it was over Genoa. But uh, we will miss Benevento. They do still have one game next week, of course, but it was nice for them to end their home campaign with a win.
1: Absolutely. Out of all the bottom teams you could find in the league, whether it be Setia or another one, they've probably been one of the most intriguing and also one of the most exciting bottom teams I've seen in my lifetime and maybe one of the best ever in that sense for the drama that they've brought and some of the surprises that they produced as well. So I'm definitely going to miss them and hopefully they can bounce back in a similar way to what Empoli has done. You know, they went down to Serie B, played some excellent football, dominated Serie B and they're back in Serie A. So hopefully Benevento can draw inspiration from that because although Benevento were rather shambolic in the first half of the campaign, uh, they had a good transfer window in January and uh, Roberto Di Zerbi does what he can to make this team competitive and He tries to play entertaining football. He tries to go for the wins by having attacking intent. It's just that the quality hasn't been there for a majority of the time, but nonetheless, they have been a fun side to keep an eye out for.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I did say last week that you you wonder where they would be now if they didn't take 15 games to get their first point, because it was just a confidence issue for so long with them, but, Forgetting about Benevento and Verona, because they're already gone. Chievo, Danese Cagliari, Spell, and Crotone are all just split by two points going into the last game of the season, which is amazing that there's five teams that could still get relegated in that one spot. And we thought Cagliari were going to be in trouble, but it is Crotone who are now in the bottom three because Chievo climbed out of it, obviously. Chievo are playing Benevento. Who plays who? Uh, Spal are playing Sampdoria, Cagliari play Atalanta and Cortona playing Napoli. So you, you would expect Chievo to beat Benevento. You would think Cagliari will have a tough time against Atalanta and Cortona will have a tough time against Napoli. And given Cortona are in the bottom three going into next week, is it too simplistic to expect them to fall down to Serie B?
1: On the basis of the fixtures coming up, it is probably easy to think that Crotone is going to get relegated because they've really got a win in Naples. And although Napoli don't have anything to play for anymore, I still think that with the quality Napoli has on the park, uh, Crotone will really struggle to get the three points. So I hope I'm proven wrong because I would love Crotone to stay in Serie A and uh, replicate, replicate another miracle. Uh, survival so that would be great so, but uh, a lot of the fixtures tend to favor the other side so if it's not called torn air, then perhaps spell might unfortunately go no spun might actually be all right i'll take that back so spell should be fine because some are rubbish away and yet yeah, the only other possibilities may be woodnez but I think they might somehow be safe. In saying that, they did beat Verona, who already relegated, and they only won 1-0, so Udinez are not out of the woods just yet. So at the moment, it would be Crotonia to go down, but these relegation battles become so unpredictable. So fingers crossed that uh, uh, Crotonia can pull off another magical escape, and at least the Calabria region has one representative again
3: yeah for sure I actually forgot to mention when I mentioned Genoa that we do have an exclusive interview with Giuseppe Rossi that will feature in the audio version of this podcast that Vieri Capretta and Dov Schiavone caught up with him and they started by asking the Genoa striker what it was like to get his first goal in what four years now in Serie A after he scored against Fiorentina a couple of weeks ago
4: And it was a it was a it was a liberation for me just because after 13 months of therapy, 13 months of hard work, it was um, it was let's just say uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. And um, I'm really happy that this. I'm really happy, and I hope that it will be a start of many, many more uh, great moments to come. And. It's funny because the stats say you've you've played against Fiorentina three times. With Parma scoring twice, then you scored. So pretty much every time you see Fiorentina, you score. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, it's pretty crazy because you're right. That Back in the day, when I was 19, it was Parma, Fiorentina, we um, we won and I scored two goals. This last game, unfortunately, we lost, uh, but I was able to get a goal. and also playing for them, i scored many and I did very well, so I guess they bring me good luck if I'm playing with them or if I'm playing against them. <laughs> Is this the, the biggest rebirth from an injury or do you feel like you've been through something worse
3: in the past or does it, does it just get... The more injuries you have, you know, has it, what's the one that's been hardest to get back from?
4: Well, every injury is tough because it's a story all by itself. Um, There's moments when I got injured where I was at my best. There's moments when I'm injured, like this last one, um, where I just got off scoring three goals in a game. So every injury has its own story. Every recovery has its own story. Um, I was without a team for four or five months during this injury, so that never happened to me before in my career. So that was even, so that added even extra stress and it was even harder. Um, you know moments to go through um, but we did it um, we're back on track we're back where we want to be and um, hopefully that, just like I said there will be many more goals to come yeah it's tough it's tough just because I've had injuries in my past therefore many, many people wouldn't want to take a risk in, um, in a player who yes he's a very good player but is injury prone and I don't blame them, um, therefore for those three, four months when I didn't have anything really going for me, it was just, um, it was a tough moment because I love what I do, I love playing, I love playing football, I love being in front of 60, 70,000 fans and putting on a show, um, that's what I was born to do. And-
3: So if you want to hear or see the full interview, it will be on ItalianFootball.com from Monday. So be sure to head over to the website and check that out, as well as Vito's article, which will be going up there. Dipping quickly then into Serie B before we wrap things up, um, we will actually overlook the fact that Udinese won because it was against Verona, so I'm not counting it. Parmo won against Bari, Palermo and Cesena and Drew. fresinone won at Virtus Contella to stay second. So it's kind of as you were, first second, Palmer third, and the playoff places are still a bit mad. You know, do you want to give us a quick roundup of everything else that happened down there?
1: Well, it's been a crazy uh, campaign already. And even as we lead into the final round of action, there are still some very intriguing uh, results. Uh, just having a look there, uh, Frosinoni managed to beat Antella 1-0, and that puts him in the position to go into the automatic promotion position. And Parma managed to beat Bari 1-0. So they're still in with a shot. But uh, Palermo versus Cesena ended 0-0. And that probably means that more than likely we'll have to see Palermo go through the playoffs. Perugia is probably the most interesting one. They drew 1-1 against Novara. They sacked their coach, Roberto Breda, and they brought in the Lazio and Milan great Alessandro Nesta to have his co- first coaching job in Italy. So the playoffs in Serie B are going to be rather interesting. And Venezia are a team that are in the playoffs, but they had one bizarre loss. They lost 5-1 to Cremonese, which was pretty mind-boggling considering that Andrea Mandolini had not won a game since taking over from Atelier as coach. But to get a win, he probably did it probably the most unlikely of circumstances and also against the coach who's actually been pretty good in the lower divisions. Super people's improved since going to Venezia and for Mandolini, he's one of those coaches I've considered to be a bit of a simpleton. So to just demolish the Venetians like that makes it even more remarkable.
3: Um, I thought you were going to go on a rant about Mandolini there for a second, which reminded me of oh, a question. <laughs> Save that for another time. For the hashtag Vito events, which, by the way, good work setting up the hashtag on Twitter of the Vito events. But we do have a question with that very topic in mind. I think it came from, it did, it came from Brian Bolden, friend of the podcast, I'm sure we can call him. He asked, he would love to hear you talk about the lack of good social media by Serie A teams, especially to English speakers. This is something that really bothers me as well. Serie A don't even have an English language account, which is Absolute insanity given the stature of the league. Sampdoria's English account used to be brilliant, but now they live tweet matches 20 minutes delayed from what's happening. So they'll be tweeting the last 20 minutes of a game after the game is finished. Uh, Bologna is all right. Roma's good. Inter's good. But other than that, there's nothing going on. Milan's Twitter account. Takes in all the languages together and it's just a complete mess. And it really does my head. And uh, I don't know, have you got the thoughts on the way? So, yeah, kind of market itself specifically on social media.
1: Yeah. I had originally said to Brian on Twitter that I was probably going to be into a general rant on Italian football, but I think now there's probably enough to say that, yeah, it's a problem. Uh, social media is a big part of this uh, uh, modern landscape. It's part of modern football. It's a great way to interact. You've got to have a look at how the Spanish team especially in La Liga with uh, the big two Barcelona and Real Madrid and then you've got the EPL, uh, they've got so many you've got so many supporters and it's well they're both well marketed leagues. they've got top coverage and the English being the English, they will bang on that they've got the best league in the world. But I think a lot of it's also due to the good marketing and good, uh, sometimes I'd even say good spin or even propaganda, to use an even stronger word. And I think the Italians got to take a serious look at themselves and get in touch with the 21st century. Long gone are the glory days of the 1980s and 1990s. You need to be in touch with modern football in many ways and one. It's great that we are a league known for its tactical nows and Italy still produces good players, even though Italy's missed out on the World Cup, but we've got to bring the fans back. We can't keep using Europe's dominance as an excuse. We can't keep using Calciopoli as an excuse or Italy's demise in the national team. We've got to find ways to bring the fans back to Italian football and to see it for what it is, not because of stereotypes generated by non-Italians. This is a way to try and target different fans around the world. You've got to get on social media and you've got to embrace other languages. And you also got to find ways to entice people into speaking Italian. Because let's face it, English is a universal language. Even if it's not a first language for people, they will learn it for business and other reasons, traveling as well. So the English have it easy in that sense that they can talk about the EPL and say it's the best league in the world because a lot of people speak English. But not many people speak Italian, not even the diaspora, because in the diaspora, especially the Southerners, they'll speak more in their dialect than proper Italian. So you've got to find ways to entice the fans, find ways to make Italian football appealing. And there are still some appealing aspects about it. So also acknowledge that there are Serie A fans outside of Italy. It's not just the 60 million on the islands and on the peninsula. Like I said, There's a big Italian community around the world, Australia, Canada, America. Uh, They haven't fully integrated into those societies. There's still an attachment to Italy. Make the most of it because they still love their city. They're still proud of the Italian roots. So even though they've assimilated to a degree, the love for Italy and Italian football is there. Don't waste it. Find a way to highlight the good aspects of Italian football because we don't need the non-Italians who just shoot Italian football when it's down. Use the opportunities. Maximise the
3: attention. So, you know, it's it's a good point. I kind of wish we had Luca Gumby on this week because me and him, every time we speak, seem to talk about this topic and how Italian clubs aren't doing enough on social media because everybody that follows football has a soft spot wherever it is for Italian football, more so than any of the other European leagues just because of if you're of a certain age, you remember the 90s and what happened there. Mm. German football clubs do Twitter really well, despite a lot of football fans not really caring one way or another about the Bundesliga. Um, Spanish clubs are using it a little bit more now, especially the bigger ones. And Italy is just so far behind, and there's a huge market that they could tap into. Because as you said just look at the the number of Serie A fan accounts there are on Twitter. You, you can even throw us into that. It, it, there's a huge Italian football community out there and there is a lot of ground to be tapped into. And it's amazing that I don't know if amazing, amazingly stupid that it hasn't been exploited more uh, because at the end of the day, like we do know football is a business and All of these clubs and Serie A would make a whole lot more money by just putting out some English information about themselves, even from a personal point of view. Trying to buy tickets for Serie A is a pain in the neck because coming to this game, I bought a ticket on list ticket and they didn't send me the ticket, so I had to email them back and forth. They emailed me in Italian, so I responded in Italian, then they responded in English. the whole thing is just a mess. Uh, that is a point that has nothing to do with the original question, but I've been up for nearly 24 hours now, so forgive me. I'm running two hours sleep as well. I, I think we can end it here, Vito, if you're happy to. Yeah, more than enough. All right, perfect. Um, of course, head over to football.com for the end-of-season awards. Dov and Vieri's interview with Giuseppe Rossi, which goes up tomorrow, the podcast, Vito's articles... Everyone else's articles, news, match coverage, everything you want. Follow us on Twitter at Serie FFC, Instagram, Facebook, and Forth Italian Football. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at J Clancy, and I do have a Facebook page as well, which is just under my name, Connor Clancy. Vito, plug your own things.
1: Nice. Go to Facebook. I've got my fan page at uh, Vito Doria. So my articles are shared there as well as this podcast and other interviews I do. And then, of course, uh, go to my Instagram and Twitter account, which is under Veto C. Doria.
3: Perfect. Okay. Um, Yeah, next week's going to be interesting because we might just go straight into the relegation talk because there's nothing to discuss at the top of the table. European places, of course, but nothing that's that important. Relegation matters more. So until next time, it's ciao for now. Ciao, ciao.
5: Soy yo que soy